0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to Sit Down with Sid podcast. This is episode number 21. Our guest today, all the way from Argentina, now currently residing with her husband in South Florida, is an independent business owner who has earned the privilege to learn from some of the top leadership entrepreneurs and how to apply them in her everyday life. What sets her apart is the drive and passion she possesses to help those in need in the world. Her mission in life is to keep learning to walk in them and live by them every day on this beautiful journey to success. That being said, let's welcome our guest, Veronica Fiorini. Hi, Veronica. How are you doing?
1: Hi, Sid. Doing great. Thank you so much for having me here today. I'm truly humbled. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks so much, Veronica. It's actually an honor for us to have you here. Um, So, Veronica, before we dive into the podcast, would you mind taking a moment and telling our listeners a little bit about your
1: background. Sure, so I was actually born in Buenos Aires, Argentina as you mentioned, and um, lived there, was raised by my mom. Uh, my dad was an entrepreneur there. Um, and around the age of eight, uh, my mom decided to move our family to the United States due to you know, economic downfall in the country, the education was plummeting. So really for my brothers and my future. Um, and we moved to the state of Virginia and we lived there. I lived there until uh, 24 and actually moved to Florida around three and a half years ago. Um, But I did my studies in Virginia. I graduated from George Mason University. I studied, um, majored in criminology and and minored in psychology. So that's a little bit of my background there.
0: Awesome. Uh, And then you did your bachelor's in criminology, as you also mentioned why? Why did you choose that uh, specific uh, career?
1: Sure. So that's a very interesting question because I had to ask myself this numerous times in the past. And um, I truly believe that due to the fact that I was living through a lot of injustices um, during this time in my life, I subconsciously craved justice. Um, And when I started college, um this this class right criminology caught my attention because of that because I honestly did not know after high school what I wanted to do what I wanted to involve myself in, um, and it caught my attention and so <clears throat> I always had the spirit of wanting to help people and Really save people from injustices. Um, so I really became passionate about learning about different laws. And um, my original vision was uh, becoming an FBI agent. You know, like like you see different shows on TV. It's like, oh, I'd love to do something like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I started studying that, and I also chose to study psychology as a minor because it goes hand in hand, right? I, I felt I needed to learn about the mind of why people choose to commit crimes and such atrocities. Um, and yeah, that's really the main reason why I started with that.
0: Perfect. Uh, I mean, as you mentioned, you were going through some of the injustices in your own world. Uh, you know, the reason being, uh, I mean, you were sexually abused for years by your own father. And then you decided to share this story with all of us uh, by coming on this podcast. So my question is, what gave you the what gave you the strength to come out and talk about it now?
1: Yes, thank you for asking that. Um, but yeah, so as you mentioned, I was abused by my biological father, um, really, for as long as I can remember, um, until the age of 19. And that's when I was starting college around that age. And so um, it, was, it took a long time for me to understand what was happening to me. Um, like I mentioned, subconsciously, it's like I knew, but I didn't mm-hmm. know that I was the one living through that injustice. Um, but the reason why now I'm choosing to come out and talk about it, um, I have to say, I'm very big on my faith. I have a very mm-hmm. big faith in, in God. I'm, I'm a Christian. And I honestly believe that his timing is perfect. I, it's not like suddenly a light bulb came up and I was like, yep, that was the time I'm going to share all of this <laughs> to the world it was more like different um, opportunities kind of presented themselves. Um, And I truly believe that God had to do healing in me first, like get my heart, my mind, right, my spirit, and not to share from a place of shame and unforgiveness and hate, right? I truly felt um, God, you know, it took years of me of healing intentionally, just doing so much work with my mind and therapy and I finally felt God do this work in me where I was able to forgive my father. I was able to release the past so that I can now share in a place of forgiveness from a place of love, from a place of hope, because that's what's going to help people, right? And that's how I see it personally. Um, but that's really why I believe now um, is the time that I'm choosing to share um, this my whole story, you know, not just parts of it.
0: <laughs> Great. So, so, so let me ask you now, how did this all started and like like when did you realize actually it was a abuse, you know, sexual abuse to be very uh, particular, you know?
1: Right, yes yeah. so yeah, that, there's a lot that goes into that. It's a loaded question because, um, you know, as a child, um, mm-hmm. when you're abused, especially by someone that's a parent, and even if it's not a parent, right, you're so innocent, you, you don't know much, right? You're learning as you're growing. But there's there's a word called narcissist. Like there's Mm -hmm. people out there that are narcissists, and they're very good at manipulating um, situations, right? And so this being my father from a very young age, um, I always felt as a kid uncomfortable. Like it's like you know something's wrong, but you really don't. Like you you haven't you don't tell anyone. So it's like everything stays in your mind. You think oh this is normal because. There's also something I wanted to talk about called grooming. Um, mm-hmm. Some people are familiar with this term, some aren't. But grooming is when an abuser, doesn't matter whether it's sexual or, you know, any physical or type of abuse, they start in small ways, right? It's mm-hmm. like they begin to, from a very young age, touch you inappropriately, but not enough to be like, oh, this is, this is wrong, right? So this child, as they grow in this environment, gets conditioned to a new normal, every stage as it gets progressively worse. So that's why it's, it's hard to say like, oh, I knew at this point that it was bad. It's like, I always felt it was bad, but as a narcissist, they know exactly what to tell you for you to not speak out, for you to not tell anyone. It's like, you feel threatened. Like if I say something, if I speak this to someone, I'm gonna get hurt worse by the abuser, right? My dad's gonna, it's things are gonna get worse. And so it, that's why it took me all the way until I turned 19. Um, and here's why. Someone outside of my home pressured me into speaking because they saw the red flags. They saw red flags in the way I was talking about my father. Like they actually listened to things that I would say. They're like, that, that doesn't sound normal, right? Uh, coming mm-hmm. from a 19 year old. Um, And so I was pressured into speaking it, right, and I challenged, really, not so much pressured. Um, And when I spoke the words, like, wow, my father is doing this and this, and he's abusing me with this, suddenly speaking it and hearing myself say it became real. Um, And I think many people don't you know, we hear all the time, like the power of what we speak, the power of the spoken word, but this is the reality. This is why it's so powerful because until you speak something and when you speak something, it becomes real, right? You hear it, you feel it. And it took that to happen for me to logically comprehend, wow, I've been living through this my whole life. Um, And so that's really, yeah.
0: uh, Sorry to interrupt you. I just want to ask, so, yeah. at what age did this all started? I have, sure. I'm going to bring up a few points because you know, as I'm listening to you, uh, yeah. so don't please don't mind if I interrupt you to ask a couple of other questions. So, so how at what age did it all started? And go ahead, let's start. Sure, that. no, I,
1: I appreciate the question, and I'm an open book, so I'm I feel comfortable answering anything about this now in my life. But um, I would say in Argentina, right? So I was mm-hmm. younger than eight. Um, there were times where he would start touching me. Um, mm-hmm. Not like that's where I want to say the grooming started, right? Mm-hmm. Not to an extreme because he wasn't home much since he was an entrepreneur. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Um, but as a little toddler, um, I would say, for that's why I mentioned as long as I can remember because I can't pinpoint an age specifically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but after moving to the US at eight, because now, um, my father, he didn't speak the language. You know, he, we had to leave his company behind. My mom mm-hmm. had been raised in the U.S. from the age of six. So she was familiar with living in America. Um, and she had to be the the, the, the breadwinner, let's say, like working full time, two jobs, um, taking care of the whole family. And because my dad was an alcoholic and um, became worse when we came to America, mm-hmm. um, he was staying home he didn't do anything for my family. He didn't ever pick up a job ever, um, for the, as long as I can remember in living in America. And so that's why now in in the U S he had full access to my brother and I really Mm
0: -hmm. to,
1: to abuse us because my mom was in home most, most of the time. And, um, for me, it was, you know, I would see my brother, he's a year and a half older than me, but, um, he would physically abuse him you know I don't like he would hit him and things like that so that would instill more fear in me right mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of did and now he he was doing both to me and verbal physical sexual Um, but that's why I would say from eight on is when it progressively got worse and at 19 it really escalated um, so that's kind of like the age time frames
0: so, so, so let me ask you now I mean didn't you speak with your mom didn't your mom notice I mean back in Argentina as you said she was a stay-at-home mom while right. he was a full-time work full-time mm-hmm. uh, uh, working you know and then right. in U.S. the roles divorced you know she became right. a full-time uh, person and he became kind of a stay-at-home dad so right so like I want to know the perspective like did you talk about it to your mom uh, what did she say I mean uh, you mm-hmm. know Please.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good question. Yes, because it's it's good to understand the family dynamics. And um, so with my mom, uh, she's, I, I want to say, you know, because she was married to him for so many years, like 20 plus years. Um, it took me a while to understand this perspective mm-hmm. that she was a victim herself of this man. Um, mm-hmm. He would abuse her physically in many ways. And mm-hmm. these are things I saw as a kid and think it was normal. Um but while living in the U.S., uh, she was definitely present and so was my brother mm-hmm. um, when my dad would do certain things. Right. And in, in a very sly way, like he knew how to make it seem like, oh, this is his dad loving on his daughter. Right. And it's normal. And so she was also conditioned for years because mm-hmm. of the environment and living with him that, oh, this is this is normal. Right. This is how her family is. Um but I think in many ways she, she noticed some things, um, but because of fear, because this man, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to explain. Like when you live with a narcissist your whole life, and even if you're married to one um, and you don't even know (laughs) that you're married to a narcissist, you live in fear with that, about them. Like you just, you want to make sure you're serving this man and doing everything he tells you because they instill fear in you. So I truly highly believe she, she was just in denial, you know, just like all of us, I think, you know, not just me in denial. My mom was in denial. My brother was in denial. It's like, we all so, thought. So when this. you shared
0: things with your mom, she, mm-hmm. she was just in denial and she's like, no, you're making stuff up or I don't believe you oh, or something.
1: I see your question. Yeah. So I didn't share, I didn't speak with her about it until I was 19 and I finally was in me? the house. No, I'm really? serious. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't speak it out loud at all to anyone, not my mom, not my brother, not best friends, no one. Um, And that's why it lasted for so long. Because if anyone had asked me, is dad doing something to you? Like, is is someone hurting you? Mm -hmm. I would have said it. But because no one had ever questioned, um, and I lived in fear of even saying it to anyone, it took that long for me to speak it. And um, at nineteen, when I, that, like I mentioned, that person outside of my home <clears throat> mm-hmm. challenged me because they noticed red flags. Not even living with me, right? Just from me speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I, I was like, the first thing I have to do is tell my mom, right? Mm-hmm. And that's when at first um, she was in shock because, I mean, imagine you're married to someone twenty something years, and you think you have an image of this husband of yours. Yeah. And now your daughter at 19 um, as an adult is telling you, oh, my father has been doing this to me um, most of my life. And so (laughs) she she helped me move out at the time. She helped me, you know, move out to the person with the person that I was dating. But she she didn't know who to believe. My daughter, my husband, my daughter making this up is my husband lying to me. You know, she she confront
0: him. Didn't your mom confront your dad when you told her everything?
1: So she confronted my dad um yes so it took really it took after I moved out um Mm -hmm. two months um she stayed living with him and my brother too and I would meet with her almost Mm -hmm. weekly like at a coffee shop and I would talk with her I would be like mom listen I know I know it's hard for you to believe but you have to believe me right this man is not good I know he's my dad I know he's your husband but he did this like I had to repeat to her weekly like until mm-hmm. it finally clicked with her and was like okay like I believe my daughter right and so that's when she confronted him and was like look I'm either gonna you know call the cops on you or I'm just gonna give you a ticket to go back to Argentina and never mm-hmm. to see you again I want you away from my kids I want you away from me mm-hmm. um, and so she did that and he left right he left to Argentina and um Yeah. And then, you know, there's more, there's all the justice system that comes after that too. So
0: so can we like talk about that? So now uh, you, you you, at 19, you realize enough is enough. You Mm -hmm. know, I'm just going to come out of this, talk to my mom. Uh, Mm -hmm. Did you talk about this with your friends or, or was it just with your mom at that age? Yeah.
1: So after I talked with my mom, I actually, the, the next person I called was my best friend. Um, she was with me, she was with me through everything, right? She never knew what I was living through, but mm-hmm. she knew what I was living through outside of the home. Um, but she never knew what I was living through in the home. And so at 19 was also the first time I, I called my best friend. I remember I told her, hey, look, um, I wanted to let you know, you know, I'm not okay. This is what has been happening. And she just she just broke down crying. I mean, she couldn't believe what was coming out of my mouth. Um, but yeah, I shared it with her and a couple other close friends, um, but that's as far as it got, you know, um, just the okay. closest people in my life. Yeah.
0: So then he he went back to Argentina um, and then you talk about the justice system. So, yes, can, can, can you like a little bit elaborate on that? Was it in this country or did you guys sure. go to all, yeah place?
1: Yeah, no, for sure. So, um, yeah, I think it's very important to talk about how the whole justice yeah. system came sure. out Um, So after he left to Argentina, um, I waited a few months. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why um, I felt the need to do this because he was gone from this country. Um, But I remember being with my mom at her apartment and I was like, you know what, mom, I think I'm going to call the police now um, just to report it, just to have peace of mind that here in Virginia and this county this father did this to her daughter. I, I don't care what comes out of it. I just want it on paper. I want it on record. Mm-hmm. So I did that. I called and then two officers came to our place. Um, they interviewed us. They you know took pictures of the place and they were like, you know what? Um, we believe you and we're going to have a detective um, investigate on this case. This mm-hmm. was all here in, in Virginia, in the US. And so But were you, Um, was your
0: dad here at that time, or he left?
1: No, yeah, he was gone. Okay, it had been a few months after he left to Argentina. Okay, Um, good. Yeah, so here I was a little confused because I'm like, wow, there's, you know, they're they're actually investing in a case, but he's he's gone, right? Um, he was just a resident here in the U.S., Mm -hmm. um, not a citizen, but, yeah, they started investigation, and you know, they interviewed my mom, my brother, myself. After that. And um, this was a long journey. It was five Mm -hmm. years of them needing to, yeah, it was. I had to wait five years before everything came into fruition with everything. Um, But it got to the point where they were like, okay, you know, we're going to involve the attorneys and they're willing to extradite your father, which is actually bring him from Argentina Mm -hmm. to the US to potentially have a trial.
0: Trial here, yeah.
1: Right. And so, I didn't know this was a possibility. Like when I called the police, I didn't ever think they would be able to get him from this other country to here. Mm -hmm. Um, But they told me there's a lot of legalities involved. Like that country has to be able to partner with the U S legally to be able to even extradite someone and Argentina Mm -hmm. does. Um, Okay. So, yeah. So it's one of the countries that do. And um, yeah, so that's where it took a long waiting process, the extradition process. Um, It was a waiting game. That's probably the three years of waiting. And they actually, um, Argentina federal police Mm -hmm. put him in jail in Argentina. Mm -hmm. And he was there for 11 months. So he was arrested there by Argentina police. And after almost a year, they were able to extradite him to Virginia, um, the US. And so At the same time, I was moving to Florida. (laughs) So it was all kind of just shifting. Everything was shifting. Um, But once that happened, obviously, I had to take my flight back to Virginia. And Mm -hmm. everything happened from there where, you know, the attorney, the detective, they were asking me, look, um, this was already in the courtroom. Uh, We're willing to, if you're willing to give a plea deal, right, um, that means he can admit that he's Mm -hmm. guilty. Mm-hmm. And have a less sentence, and we don't have to have trial. Okay. So I was like, okay, you know, let's let's do the plea deal. Um, but he didn't admit to his guilt, and um, you know, I, I so totally, he preferred to
0: go on a trial. Probably he preferred to go okay. on a trial. Okay. Um,
1: so here's the thing. Here's the key, though. The only reason it got this far, right? Mm-hmm. I, it, we we were able to. Or really, the the justice system here was able to get to the point where we could take him to trial, was because before he left to Argentina, I knew I wasn't going to see him again in my life. Mm-hmm. I thought I never was going to see him again, okay. so I wanted to take justice in my own hands. You know, um, which is why you know we were talking about why I studied criminology. I always Monology. want that justice and stand up for myself. So um, the day before he left. I went back to that apartment where he was and I confronted him in front of my mom, in front of my brother. I stood up and I was like, look, um, I want you to tell it, your wife and your son in, in front of everyone here what you did, mm-hmm. um, because I just want to hear it from you. And I, I mm-hmm. don't want them to ever doubt what you did and the mm-hmm. harm that you caused. Mm-hmm. And I honestly did that because I just wanted to see if there was just an ounce left of this man that was good. I, you know, I was, I was trying to just understand why. Um, And he would deny it, he would deny it. And so I went ahead and said everything he did to me in front of my mom in front of my brother. Mm -hmm. And um, I told him at the end, I just want you to admit that you did this. Um, And he eventually admitted it. Oh, wow. So, okay. Yeah, he admitted it in in person before he, he left to Argentina. Okay. And um, I was like, okay, you know, that's all I needed to hear from you. I'm never going to see you again. I hope you have a good life. And I left, right. And so that's when I found out my brother had recorded the entire audio recording. of. Oh, that. wow. Yes. <laughs> so because my brother I don't know how he thought of this because for me I was in an emotional mess I just wanted to you know do what I felt was right um and my brother did that and if it wasn't for my brother recording that there would have been no evidence to bring to court there would have been no case right Mm -hmm. um because it would have just been my word and we need evidence (laughs) um and that evidence was his confession really of hey, I admitted to what she just said in this recording, um, and that's that gave us the upper hand because it's like hey, <laughs> you you admitted it that right? That's the justice system we have, um, but yeah, it just it you know justice prevailed, and I really see it as as God's work because everything that ensued <laughs> up until today, I see why it had to happen the way it did. Um, and he actually got sentenced to 19 years mm-hmm. um, because I was 19 um, at the time I, I it everything ended. And so they, they gave him one year, um, every year of my life that he took, they sentenced him to. Um, and so yeah, he's still, he act-
0: he's still incarcerated, correct?
1: So actually, <laughs> this is something that happened last week. Um, and it was a lot for me to process, but he passed away in prison okay. um Sorry to yeah hear that. And, no yeah no it, i appreciate it because um he actually passed away in september exactly okay. two months ago september 20th okay.
0: um
1: we didn't know i found out last week and <clears throat> it was a lot to process because um you know <laughs> it's like he was my abuser but he was my father mm-hmm. um and it was i had to this is what I mean. I'm, I'm at peace where I am today with everything, because almost two years ago now, I wrote a forgiveness letter to my dad in prison. Mm-hmm. And this is why I bring my faith, because if it wasn't for my faith in God, I wouldn't have been instructed to do these things. Um, like, really, it's a different sp- it's a spiritual realm that led me to do this. Um, I was still angry at him. I still had hate in me, but I felt instructed to forgive him. And Mm -hmm. I wrote this letter and I was like, you know what? I don't know what is going to come out of this, but all I know is this is going to help me release what I need to release. And it's going to help him um, while he's in the cell, right? Just to know that, Hey, there is unconditional love that exists. Um, Even if no one showed you before, God is showing you through me, even Mm -hmm. to the person you hurt the most in this world. And I did that. And the day that I did that, I felt this just burden, a lot of this burden came off of me. Um, And he actually sent me something back in the mail, but it was scriptures. It it wasn't his own writing, right? He Mm -hmm. didn't ever write an apology. He never wrote anything in particular that stemmed from him. It was just lyrics to songs and poems that he used to play um, in scriptures from, from the Bible. And that's when I knew that mentally he was just you know he he, he was just not himself right mm-hmm. it, it wasn't it wasn't the dad that I knew before. It's like I had to separate um, in my mind I had to separate okay, this is the dad I thought he was. this is the dad he was and he also abused me right mm-hmm. And then there's the the thought of the dad I wish I would have had right so there's a lot of different compartments to have to process and grieve um and when I found out he passed away um I was actually grieving the dad right not the abuser I I felt wow you know even though he did all this to me I feel compassion um because I forgave him right Mm -hmm. um I never communicated with him after I sent that letter of forgiveness I just knew that's all I had to do and um yeah. And it just got to the point where, um, when I found out he passed away last week, I processed it. I grieved it. And I felt in prayer that, um, his spirit is at peace, um, because I did what God instructed me to do. And, um, yeah, I, I no longer hold this like spirit of resentment or anger. Um, instead I view it as a lens of, you know, bad things happen in this life. Good things happen in this life. Um, whether people intended it to happen or not. (laughs) And it's a matter of what we do with it. Are we going to use it for good? Or are Mm -hmm. we going to keep drowning in our own misery and, you know, not add value to people, you know? Um, So that's how I process that.
0: So, so, so so like, besides the faith, were Mm -hmm. there any resources, other resources or people that helped you overcome this and in your healing process?
1: Oh, 100%. That's a great question. Um, so when I turned 19 and I, and I left, right, that environment um, and, my, and my dad was gone, right, uh, my mom helped me with getting a psychiatrist. You know, I had to get on medications immediately. I mean, when you're at a point where you can't even get yourself out of bed, like you are debilitated in, in mentally, emotionally, um, even physically, like my body was just not OK. Um, thank God I had those medical resources here um, mm-hmm. with a psychiatrist and medication and, and therapy, right. All combined, like therapy is something I go to still weekly, um, because it's helped me so much. And it's so important to, to speak out and process, to be able to process everything. Cause it's a lot to unpack. Um, but moving forward with it, right. It takes time because first you have to accept, okay, this is, I'm processing everything that happened. Then you have to move to a level of accepting, right? And then move to a level of, okay, how can, with what I now know, how can I move forward? And those resources really, really helped me. Um, Yeah.
0: (laughs) Awesome. So, so now when you, when someone goes through something like this, I'm sure it impacts their relationship with friends and family. Mm -hmm. Uh, So can you tell us a little bit about your difference pre-19 and post-19 with your relationships with your family and friends? So Sure. You know, go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. So pre-19, um, I was very disconnected. Um, and I, what I mean by that is because I was so disconnected with myself. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't even know what I was living. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know why I was living. Um, I couldn't connect with others, right? I couldn't develop um, a deep connection with people. So with friendships, um, I always had my best friend. Um, this is why I love her so much because despite everything I lived through and she didn't even know at the time she was always there. Right. And that's my golden friend. And I've had friendships, right. But they were never a deep connection because I couldn't, I didn't love myself. Um, and with my family, it also felt like a disconnect, um, because Mm -hmm. we were, we weren't connected, even though we lived together, you know, we were living through something that, um, we didn't even know we were living through. And so not only that, but, uh, when you live with a narcissist, they try as much as possible to block you from everyone mm-hmm. so that they have full access of you and control of you. And so what my father did was he didn't allow my mom to see her mom, <laughs> to see her sister. Um, she basically, he basically brainwashed her to think they were bad people when they were, they're the most loving people I know. And, um, so I didn't have my grandma or my aunt or any other family for over 12 years wow. um, of my life Yeah, from Florida to Virginia to see us. And it was like a reuniting like moment where, wow, um, all of this happened. It all makes sense why, you know, we were so disconnected like this. This man controlled everything. Um, and in regards to friendships, it, it <laughs> it's only been since recently to be honest with you, that I can finally connect with people as who I am because I finally can say I love who I am. I finally can say I know myself. Um, I respect myself. I know what I'm worth. Um, and now in my life, it took years from when I was 19 to really build myself and really understand and heal from everything to the point where I can really say, wow, now I can really connect with people. I can really, to the point where I can, um, serve people and add value um because if you if you can't understand or love yourself or or know why you know just why you're here and accept everything you've lived through it's hard to connect with others it's hard to understand um, from a different perspective but I can gladly say I I have that now nice Uh,
0: so Veronica now like what suggestions do you have uh, to make it for to make it safer for survivors to come forward if they want to, you know, after sure. listening to this podcast.
1: Sure, that's a great question. Um, I think one. I think it's important for people to know how prevalent this is. Um, statistically, people go through abuse. I mean, I think it's one in three girls, one in five boys, that live through this. That's a lot of people. And so, what I would say is. Um, safety is a huge component um, in speaking out about your story. You have to be able to feel safe with Mm -hmm. whoever you're speaking to. I am now at a point where I can do it in public platforms because I feel safe with myself, right? I feel safe that even if I share this and someone says something that could potentially, let's say, offend me, like I don't get offended, right? Right. I I accept because I know my story. I know my truth. But it takes time to get there. Um, I think... Sharing it publicly is not for everyone. Um, you know, I think it's it's important for survivors to know what what is the safest way for them to come out with it. Whether it's journaling it, talking to one person about it, talking to a community where they feel safe, or if they do want to do it publicly, I think it's very empowering. It can empower um, uh, survivors because it allows you to take control of of your life. You know, it, t- it allows you to take ownership. Um, and use it for good, to spread awareness on it. Um, But I think safety, feeling safe, is the number one component. As long as you feel safe speaking about it, Mm -hmm. um, and not speaking in front of someone that you know could be judgmental towards you, because that can create another level of of trauma, in a sense. Like, if someone um, tries to diminish your story, or tries to make you feel like um, you didn't do something right, you know, I think it's important.
0: Okay. Uh, so now I'm going to go back to your, uh, to your current profession. Sure. I mean, you started your profession in a legal field and now you have transitioned into the beauty personal and home products. Uh, what made you move from a corporate world to do your own things? And is this somehow tied to you having a new identity, a new you after mm. all the dust settled with your, you know, experience with your yeah, dad? Yeah,
1: that is such a good question. So, yes, many reasons as to why I'm making that transition. Um, again, I always tie everything to my faith. But after I moved to Florida, um, you know, I graduated. I Once I graduated George Mason University, um, that same year after I graduated, I moved to Florida. And so mm-hmm. there was a lot of different components. Um. You know, after graduating, I thought I would maybe be a police officer or I would get into the federal government. And um, but that opportunity presented itself for me to move here because my grandma and my aunt always lived in Florida. And I remember when I graduated, um, they came up to visit and they were like, hey, you know what? You graduated. You don't have a job. Why don't you just come down with us? Start new, right? Mm -hmm. Create your new life um, here. And I was like, why not? <laughs> so um, I went ahead and I moved here. And that's when the world just became my oyster. You know, I, I was like, wow, like I can start new. I don't have to, you know, um, do what I thought I only always had to do. Um, and it wasn't so much that, but new opportunities came and presenting themselves. So I actually got a job here in a law firm when I first mm-hmm. moved here. So I, I knew I needed a job right away if I need to, if I'm going to move here. Um, and that opportunity presented itself I worked in a law firm for maybe um, a year and a half almost two mm-hmm. years then I met someone else who um, then introduced me to another company TransUnion one of the top credit bureaus and I worked that's where I met my husband my now husband <laughs> awesome. um, yeah so I, I worked there for almost about two years as well um, but when I met my my current husband um the week that I was working there, there was like a luncheon. And so I was meeting a lot of people. It was like, oh my, yeah, I was a newbie and he was just someone I happened to meet. But that weekend um, I went to the beach and he happened to go to the same beach at the same time by himself. If that wasn't destined, destined to be, I don't know what is, but we somehow saw each other and we're like, oh my gosh, we just met at this company And we became friends. And this is how I got introduced to what I do now. Um, He spoke to me, what caught my attention is he spoke to me about the different influences he has in his life and his values, his morals, his dreams for his life. And I never heard a man speaking so strongly about a vision for his life and his future family. And I was like, wow, like I want to meet these people, right? Like what do they do? And, and so he introduced me to amazing leaders and, um, I now, you know, I learn from them now, I'm able to gain so much wisdom from them. And and the reason I'm making this transition, and I'm choosing to, from the corporate world to entrepreneurship is because of their lifestyle, right? I see the way they live, I see the way they're able to raise their kids, they have time freedom, not just money, right? And to me, money is not everything, but my values are. And yeah. I want what I do to align with my values. And I didn't find that in the corporate world, right? Some people do, I didn't. You know, My dream is to be able to, the day that I have kids, um, to be a stay home mom, to be a full-time mm-hmm. mom, to be full-time husband and wife. And I see those examples of how families are united, right? They have a common vision together, they pursue that. And um, to me, it's a, fa- it's a family legacy. And so I didn't think that was ever real until I saw it with my own eyes and I'm like this is possible (laughs) like I can do this if people have done this I can do this and yeah I feel like the reason I'm so passionate about it is because I come from a broken family right there are so many broken families not just this country all over the world and here I see families united I see what impact um I can do for people because they're doing that for me and um yeah, it gets me emotional talking about it because it's so beautiful. And I just, um, I, that's this is the only place where I've seen such a strong united vision um, in families and um, it just having a foundation of, of integrity, of good morals, of faith. And that's what I just want to keep pursuing.
0: Very nice. So, so Veronica, now, if I wanted to ask you, what is your purpose in life? What would that be?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so I'm going to be raw and honest here. My, my purpose, right, again, mm-hmm. tying to my faith is to become more like Christ. Um, mm-hmm. And not just that, but I also believe that the fact that we are here today, the fact that mm-hmm. we live and exist and we're born into this world, um, I am purpose. We, we are purpose being here, Right. And I believe that the more good that I do, the more that I love people, the more that I serve people, the more that I add value to people, the more that God's purpose will manifest itself in my life, because we're here to do good, right? And that's my belief. And um, to me, that's, that's all the purpose we need and that I need. Um, and the more that I realize that is I always tie it back to self. It's like, well, in that case, I am purpose, right? Um, so that's my, my raw answer to that.
0: I love it. I love that answer. Uh, So now to, to kind of, uh, you know, finish this podcast episode. uh, What is a message that you want to give to our listeners?
1: I love that. I, I always love to end with a message of hope. Um, And this being because every single person in this world um, goes through some seasons of suffering, right? We all go through highs and lows. And I think it's important to remember that when you're in those lows, hope is what's going to help you overcome mm-hmm. and not letting go of it. And there's actually a famous quote by John Maxwell, one of my favorite leaders, that says, Hope has two beautiful daughters one is anger and one is courage. And it's angry at the way things are, but courage to make the difference. Right. And I think when you're in that valley to remember hey you you might be upset you may be angry as to where you are but remember that with the courage to make a difference you're hanging on to that hope and never letting it go is what's going to help you overcome it
0: wow very interesting perspective that you have Uh, before I let you go I have a question are you at peace with yourself now
1: yes wow I love that question I am very at peace with myself and I could not be more grateful to God for that because it's, it's not my doing. I think all I've done in my life is be obedient to what's right, um, putting one step in front of the other in, in the right direction. And I think that's what led me to finally be at peace with who I am and myself.
0: Well, Veronica, this has been a very uh, engaging uh, conversation with you. Uh, I personally want to... Um, give you a lot of, uh, applaud and respect for coming and, you know, sharing your story with, with me, our listeners and being so candid and open, you know, you just kept, as you say, you kept it raw, you kept it real, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you. you know, I, once again, I am just extremely honored to have, uh, someone like yourself be a part of this, uh, journey, you know, and, uh, uh, we definitely look forward to uh, inviting you again down the line and uh, you know if there is anything we can do for you please do not hesitate to reach out to us
1: thank you so much i appreciate you having me here I really do thank you. i appreciate
0: it. <laughs> no problem and honor is ours thank you so much uh have a good day okay talk soon
1: you too thank you
0: bye-bye